I'm Paul Comfort, and on this edition of Transit Unplugged, we hear from Lauren Skyver, CEO of Sunline Transit in the beautiful Coachella Valley of Southern California. Lauren has lots of interesting innovations happening at her transit system that she's leading, including making the members of her staff really a part of where their whole transit agency is headed. And where are they headed? They're headed toward alternative fuels and zero emissions. She's building a center of excellence for zero emission fuels. She's also creating hydrogen fuel at her facility to power her fleet. You'll hear about all of it and more on this edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Hi, this is Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged, and today I'm happy to have with us as our guest, Lauren Skyver, who is CEO. Actually, she's been CEO of a lot of things, <laughs> and we're old friends. She uh, worked at the Maryland Transit Administration before I got there. Lauren, tell us about yourself, what you're doing now, and how you got there in California to this great gig you've got now. Well, I do have a great gig. <laughs> uh, Sunline is an amazing organization, and for a small transit agency, it's amazing all the things that are happening there. Um, 315 employees, but um, most of which are scientists, really, and transit professionals. So um, getting there, though, was a pretty long journey. I mean, I got out of the military and needed a job, got a job at Hart, Hillsborough area. Hart was a fantastic place to work under a female CEO who really groomed me to become who I am today. So who Sharon Dent, Sharon Dent, Dent okay, yeah. who was CEO and at the time one of very few female CEOs in the business, um, but a real groundbreaking person who really believed in bringing people up from her organization. Um, and so, you know, from a secretary, I decided I was going to be a CEO and moved around to do that, um, and which was not a bad thing. I mean, I don't have the opportunity to stay at an agency to retirement, which is a really great path in this business, but I actually moved four different transit agencies to move my career, and they were all fantastic in their own way. And I learned something from every one of them. Um, been at a big, MTA Maryland, uh, been at a medium, Hart, uh, DTC, Delaware Transit Corporation, and now at a small. And so I kind of know what the challenges and the joys are for each of those transit sizes. And they are very different, and their needs are very different. The workforce is very different, and um, but we all need money. That's one thing we share in common, no matter what size agency you're at, you need money. Mm. And so uh, talk to us a little bit about, uh, you said you went from secretary to CEO. How did you make that transition? I mean, I think a lot of people would be interested in that. Well, um, I had good mentors along the way. Okay. Um, I think everybody in the business understands this. It's very difficult to do it on your own, if not impossible. Um, having people that will open the door for you is important. I tell my staff, you have to have your hand on the knob, though, because mm. opportunities are only opportunities when you're willing to take them and deliver what folks are giving you an opportunity. And so that journey um, was a plan that I made, but also I was helped along the way by others who were above me in position and some that were below me. Mm. Um, my teams helped me get where I needed to be. Um, and so I think if you make a plan early on in your career, it's much easier to achieve that goal than deciding it as things happen. Mm. Um, and I encourage my teams to do that. Decide what you want to be when you grow up and work towards it, and it really can happen in this business. I do believe transit is one of the 
few remaining um, occupations where you can be a secretary and a CEO in a lifetime. Um, it just, you have to like this business though. If you don't like people and you don't like transit, you shouldn't be in it because mm -hmm. we really need people who are passionate about serving others and serving their communities. And I think that we are actively looking for the next generation of workforce. And I think we have to attract them to our business in a variety of ways. And opportunity is one of those ways. That's good. What I like about you, Lauren, is that I, the way I uh, phrase it is, I think you bring the head of the private sector, meaning using all the latest and greatest uh, management techniques and technologies, but the heart of the public sector, where you're not doing it to make money, you're doing it to help people. And uh, I mean, you just described that's kind of how you moved up through the ranks, right? Yes. By having that head and that heart in, in the right places. So tell us about Sunline and, and uh, a little bit more about the, the system itself and what you're doing there and some of the cool stuff that I know you're doing with electrification. And I mean, you're really leading the nation in some of the stuff you're doing. Well, you know, Sunline has actually researched and developed a hydrogen fuel cell heavy duty engine. And there's a lot of infrastructure that was, was invested in. We make our own hydrogen. Um, but what we really are trying to do now is, is take the technology that was developed in the U.S. So hydrogen fuel cell heavy-duty technology was really developed here in the U.S. and is being deployed in great numbers around the world, not in the U.S. And so how do we take something that we as Americans created, invested in, and have made work, and then make it work more generally for other communities? Hydrogen is a complex form of fuel but not as complex as people think. A lot of people go back to the Hindenburg with hydrogen, and right. it's absolutely not the case in operating under that environment. So I think that what my agency is uh, focused on is helping other transit agencies understand whether it's battery, all battery bus, if it's hydrogen, what other new forms of clean fuel come out, that you can launch these, you can execute these projects, you can be prepared for it, which helps a lot, um, and you can successfully operate a zero emission fleet. Um, board policy, preparation in the community, preparation in the workforce are all steps that sometimes we take little time in. Uh, we put in for a grant, we get the bus or buses, and then we go back and try to do the pre-work of does our maintenance staff understand what we're doing? Have they been supportive of that? Have they been part of the decision? Has the board been a part of that decision and been made aware of what are the limitations? What are the cost factors? The excitement of getting a grant is the best part of the end of the project. The pre-work on putting the grant in is really where we have to concentrate our effort. And I think Sunline's been extremely successful in that way. We also ensure that our agency is the best technician of the technology we're buying. We don't require our OEM to babysit every part of launching a vehicle. Okay. I have folks that know how to produce hydrogen. They know exactly how our buses work. These are on-staff individuals, not just contracted help. I think it's important to invest in the workforce to understand your technology and not just rely on your OEM to support it. Um, and so we are at the point now where some of those folks have been in the agency for 20, 25 years, and so their main mission is to find others within the agency that are interested in clean fuels and some of the things that we do that are about zero emission technology to bring them into this new paradigm that we've mm -hmm. created. Um, you can lose a lot of brain trust when folks who have been at the agency since the start of a new program begin to get to retirement age, and so we're actively working on keeping our 
uh, fuels technology group, new folks coming in, um, attracting folks from colleges in the area who are, have a focus in environmental or in clean fuels. And so my biggest uh, push right now is just to keep that brain trust within the agency active mm. and growing and attracting new folks into that space. And so tell us about your fleet. Uh, you have different types of fuels you use, and then tell us some about your agency, where it's at, who you serve, that kind of thing. Well, you know, Sunline is one of the most unique uh, fleet arrangements I've ever worked in, you know, and it's just long standing that you want to get the same kind of bus from right. the same manufacturer, reducing parts. We probably have six different gliders that we're running, six, three different fuels uh, or, or energy sources, right. and we have a trailer for a parts room. Um, so it's doable. Um, it takes being creative. It takes being very active and not reactive on um, making sure we have correct parts, making sure we have the right technology, making sure our technicians understand. One day they're working on an all-battery bus. We run BYD all-battery buses. One day they're working on a hydrogen fuel cell. Soon they'll be working on two different forms of a hydrogen fuel cell, so El Dorado and new flyer buses. I think that keeps us sharp. I really do. I think that my maintenance team actually is a lot more executable. They can really get in and fix something because they don't have this luxury of the same bus in the garage every day, mm -hmm. you know, routine. They don't miss things because they know they really have to look deep. And so when I first got there, I couldn't believe they did that. And now I understand why they do do that. And I do think there's some benefits in having multiple OEM uh, fleet vehicles, um, which I couldn't say 10 or 15 years ago I would ever agree with. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask you, why did you do this? Why are you so willing to experiment? I think that Sunline has seen the benefit of experimentation. There have been th things that don't work, but the agency has absolutely benefited in funding, in project funding, in notoriety, and in support based on that uh work that we've done. Sure, it's had a lot of risks. There have been things that uh, at the end of the day were science projects that aren't running. But I think the risks absolutely didn't outweigh the reward. So uh, so you've got hydrogen fuel, you've got battery electric, and what, what's your third fuel? We have compressed natural gas, and we so, have a fourth. Yeah. Okay. We are now operating a uh, battery-dominant hydrogen fuel cell bus. We think this is really the wave of the future. Battery-dominant. So instead of a 150-kilogram hydrogen fuel cell in the roof of the bus, this is an all-electric bus, more batteries, with a 60K uh, fuel cell just as a range extender. Mm. So this is how okay. we'll get to the 300-mile mark without having sort of range anxiety yes. on our, our battery buses. I just... I just talked to a CEO yesterday who told me that uh, they're doing CNG because their routes are long and they're afraid the electric. So having a dual fuel helps that, right? Right. And these are, again, um, these are research and development buses, the two that we're running. Okay. But it is mainly to see if we can really perfect this technology to give operators who have long routes another uh, opportunity for a zero emission bus. And then you still need hydrogen, obviously, yes. but not as much as in a purely hydrogen fuel cell bus with a small battery pack. Um, and so, you know, there may be some creative ways to get hydrogen because you're not having to produce as much for a daily uh, 
bus work as you would with a, a larger fuel cell. And you produce hydrogen. How do you do that? We produce hydrogen. <laughs> well, we do it right now through reformation, so steam reformation. Steam okay. pulls the mar uh, molecules apart. Um, the nice thing about reformation is, is that it's clean because we use biogas CNG. We strip those molecules apart. We separate out the hydrogen. The rest of the molecules are used in the process, so they're burned in the process, and very little emissions comes from our reformer. The issue we have with reforming, though, is <clears throat> excuse me, our fleet is getting so large, there aren't reformers large enough to make as much hydrogen as we'll need when we get all of our buses on property. Okay. So we are moving to electro electrolysis. Um, we're working on solar being the source energy for our electrolyzer, and we'll be making 900 kilograms of hydrogen in the next two years. So I always tell young people, consider transportation because there's so many different facets to it. You know, you can be in HR, you can be in management, you can be a driver, and now you can be a fuel scientist. You can be a fuel scientist <laughs> at Sunline, and that's what that's one of the wow, things. Wow, Lauren, that we that's talk amazing. About. It is amazing, and this will be the largest electrolyzer in the U.S. Wow, operating. So we want to sell hydrogen. Okay. We want that to be a profit center for the agency at some point. Um, we want to see cities buy hydrogen. To you can convert it back into electricity. And so hydrogen is a very cool fuel. It has a lot of things you can do with it. You can create it and turn it back into things. You can store it. We're looking at maybe producing hydrogen and creating liquid hydrogen from it, which is transferable, transportable, easier than gaseous hydrogen. And so the, the, the point we're at now is, is we want to get this electrolyzer in. We want to see how we can use it to create another uh, a subsidy or um, revenue source for the agency. And we know that hydrogen will find its place. Uh, right now in the U.S., it's still not commercialized to where it's a right. broad-use fuel. But um, electrolyzing could be used for community power. Mm. Um, hydrogen fuel cells could be dropped in as a, a household power. Um, and are you the only transit system in America doing this? I'm not aware of anybody else doing uh, it. There are other uh, provider uh, transit providers that are running hydrogen. AC Transit has okay. fuel cell buses. Um, there were just some low-no awards. Uh, Orange County Transit Authority is going to be running fuel cell buses. So California. California yeah, is the one the way, is yeah. leading the way on the fuel cell. Um, and SORTA in Ohio is, act, oh. is also a very... Uh, Kurt Conrad, great leader um, at SORTA, is working on a big fuel cell program as well. That's great. So tell us about the communities you serve, where you're at in California, passenger counts, budget, all that kind of the details of your transit system. Okay, well, you know, we're Reno of transit. We're the biggest little transit agency in America, <laughs> okay. I think. Um, we are a small transit agency, 100 revenue vehicles. Um, we travel 1,120 1, square miles, which is a big service area wow. for 76 buses. Uh, we move about 4.5 million, so that's really good use on our system. Um, and you know, we what we cities are you in? Well, I'm in the Coachella Valley, which is nine cities. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So you go from Palm Springs to Coachella. Mm -hmm. If you've heard of the Coachella sure, Fest, you yeah. know the Indio Coachella area. Um, but there's nine cities in between, all with their own personalities, mm -hmm. all with their own income. We serve the very poorest in the East Valley, and some of the most wealthiest folks in the world have homes in um, the Coachella Valley area. Yeah. So it's a very diverse area. It's difficult to serve with transit. Um, but one of the things we're working on as you hear transit agencies reinventing themselves is, is we're, 
going to be very open to the modes that we operate. We're launching a rideshare service, which will be our own. Okay. We regulate the taxis in the valley, so working with the TNC is not something we would ever consider. Um, but we are going to run our own rideshare, and we're in the process of standing that up right now. Like with an app and everything? Mm -hmm. Okay. And we will possibly use taxis to start, but we hope to have zero-emission hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. Uh, maybe Toyota Mirai's or Honda Clarifies um, operating that service at some point. Um, but we really believe that we have to get way more flexible. And, you know, we're here in Washington because one of the things we hear is that we've got to get more flexible, and we all know we want to get more flexible. And I think sometimes transit thinks that, or, or people outside of our business think that we're really just married to doing the same thing for 25 years and we're not willing to change. And I think that that's absolutely not true about our industry. I think some of the rules have to change. I think if we're going to become more dynamic and we're going to become fast-paced in making changes, then some of the rules in how we buy vehicles, how we replace vehicles, will have to catch up to that. Because I do think that the leadership and employees in this business would, in a minute, change their format. Mm -hmm. It's just how do you do that? And how do you replace a 40-foot bus with something else when the rules right now don't allow for that? How do you get dynamic and lease vehicles? when maybe the rules don't apply for that. So I think that there's another part of our business that needs to change just as rapidly as we're trying to in order for us to be successful in some of these new things we could do. I really believe that transit is public because others have tried to provide it in a private in, in, um, atmosphere, in a private space. And so I think public transit operators can also become these dynamic, changing organizations if we're given that latitude to do it. Right. Um, who was I talking to about this recently? I guess it was down in Dallas and about they were becoming, changing the role to like the mobility central organizing uh, group in the region where you pull everything in related to mobility. Is that what you're talking about? I think so. And I think that if we're seen as the thought leaders of how transportation should be operating in a state, a community, a region, a county, um, I think that we absolutely can rise to that challenge. I think we already do it. I just don't think that the name of our organization and some of the mission and goals we have encompasses that as well. And we need help with that. We need leadership in those different layers to also give us that latitude and to see us that way. I think transit has to be able to talk that talk as well and walk it. And mm -hmm. I think we're still working on that. But I think there are plenty of agencies that say, we can do that too. If you want us to be flexible, if you want us to have a complement or umbrella of services that are broader than what we have, we can do that. I think in the history of transit, we've always been saying, what do you want? We'll put it on the road. I mean, rubber on the road, rail right. on the road is what we do. And I don't think we're married to doing it the way we've been doing it in the last 5, 10, or 20 years. I think we've already shown that we could be flexible and move to the consumer beat that we have to move to at least you know, in these days and times. I recently heard you, I was in Palm Springs at another conference and heard you talk. I was very impressed about uh, not only your innovations, but how you're handling uh, the budget shortfalls that you have. We don't like to talk about it, but transit sometimes doesn't have all the money it needs, like you just said. So how are you addressing that as a CEO of a transit system in California? Well, what my agency, I've unleashed my, my agency, and I think that when you unleash the folks that work in the agency, you can get a lot of great ideas and you can get a lot of movement on things that will improve the service, improve the budget, and improve your efficiency. I mean, we're really big on performance management. 
You know, that's an old concept. That's mm -hmm. not a new concept in the private world. It's a very new concept in public service and in public agencies. We track every cost center in our organization. And, you know, MTA did that for a right. long time. Um, it's been very valuable to my agency. We understand where we've spent money that is not necessarily improving the service or improving what we produce as a product. Um, so our budget is something we're really focused on. We are focused on not selling what people aren't buying. I say that all the time. My staff, I hear my staff quoting me now saying that's, that's why a great I know line. it's. I say at every meeting when we're going to talk about something new, we got to stop selling what people aren't buying because we're no different than a public organ or a private organization who is not making enough money to stay in business, and we have to look at ourselves that way. I talk to my union about that. If we keep selling what people aren't buying, there'll be less of us here. <laughs> and I think that our union is a great partner. Our operators have given us fantastic ideas how to improve our service. And it's just been unleashing that. It's just been being very authentic about what's happening. You know, we have two paths when our budget gets cut. Slash service layoff employees or get dynamic roll up your sleeves and start thinking about a way to amend and change your service with a scalpel versus a hatchet. Mm -hmm. And so those are the ways we talk about Sunline at a $5 million shortfall this year. For a $35 million agency, that's not SOFA change. That's mm -hmm. a big amount of money. We overcame it. Um, we made a service change that was not impactful to the employees or to our riders. Saved about $1.3 million on that. And then we made some other efficiency changes to get our budget where it needed to be. We also, over the last four years, have built a reserve. So we had some time to scalpel change the service, not just go in with a slash and burn approach. Mm -hmm. So I think transit has to start looking that way. Building a reserve isn't easy for everyone. Doing it through performance management is possible. Creating a culture of excellence where everyone has to pull. Everyone has to pull and lean forward. They cannot just come to work every day. Also helps with getting an energized, passionate, and thinking organization that understands that we have to solve our problems together, and then we have to ensure that our customers get where they need to go. It's just happened there, and it's not all about me. It's about the folks there that we've, we've empowered to lead the agency beyond the CEO's office. And tell us a little about your governance structure. You have a board of directors, and they are supportive of this approach? And we have a board of directors. So we have nine cities. Uh, the board of directors is a council person from each city, and then the supervisor of the county sits on our board. They are very supportive. Again, they, they uh, represent a varied region um, of folks. Um, and so they're very focused uh, fiscally on us being fiscally prudent and, and landing our, uh, mining our budget. But they're also supportive of all the cool things we do. We wouldn't be able to do it without them. And I just want to note to listeners, I mean, one of the things that's been the key to our zero emission um, program is we have a board policy uh, passed in 1993 that says we will operate zero emission vehicles whenever possible. And we will teach others about how to do it. Gives me as the CEO, when you hear me going out and speaking, it's because it's part of my mission by board policy. That's great. To go out and talk about what worked and didn't work in our system, what you can do and what you should think about when you're going to do it. And I think if you want to start a zero emission program or you already have, going back and getting a very short, doesn't have to be detailed, board policy that allows you to do these, to allows you to experiment, gives the CEO and the agency some cover to go out and explore. 
And so I would say if you're going to think about doing something, go after a grant for a zero emission bus project or vehicle project, you first go to your board and ask them to give you some support in a board policy or statement. Mm -hmm. I think it helps a lot in um, going out and launching a program. That's great. So Sunline, what's next for Sunline? You've, you've talked about some of the new fuel things and the new app that you're doing. What other what other kind of innovations are you working on? I know you've got a lot going on. We are also building, I think that folks, we want folks to know about a center of excellence. And so it will be a zero emission technology center of excellence. We're gonna be building a brick and mortar training facility. Uh, it will have a large bay, bay bigger uh, than even needed for buses. We want dredge trucks. Anything that's gonna be zero emission or coming down the road, over the road trucking is looking at some different technologies for zero emission. And so this center will be a place where we can train technicians, we can train train the trainers, we can uh, have OEMs are supporting it, meaning giving us diagnostic equipment and buses for uh, technicians to work on. We also see it as a place where management can come to understand what do you need to do to procure zero emission buses? What are some of the things you might want in infrastructure? So uh, that project is well on its way. We have curriculum already being developed in hydrogen fuel cell technology and battery bus. Um, and we are working on creating the structure and building the structure in the next 18 months. Wow. Once that opens, I feel like it's going to be the new trade school of, you know, the future. Meaning, you know, when I was going out, crumbing up in high school, you went to college or you went to a trade school. And right. trade schools really aren't the thing anymore for those who aren't college bound. We see this as being a new place where... Um, young folks and older folks that want to transition to a new career can come get a certification. We're working with several colleges for this to actually be a certification to work on zero emission technologies, clean fuels, the solar uh, world, we hope, will use it as well. It's, it's not going to be just a transit facility. It's going to be for anything that's coming down the road that is zero emission based or clean fuel based. It's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And so we're going to also, so we're going to be a transit agency. We're going to be a fuel agency and clean fuel agency. And we're also going to be an educational agency. And, you know, the, the trick is, and I think what we're really good at is we still provide an excellent transit service because that's our focus. Mm -hmm. That's our main business right. is transit. And so that's the balance that we've had to create in the agency. We can't lose focus of what we really do. Yes, and that's putting yeah. yes, rubber on the road, picking up people at a stop, providing our paratransit service. And I'm happy to report that with all those things, we've never been better in our on-time performance and our budget adherence. We haven't lost sight. And our performance management program is what allows us to do all of these other things. I think it would be too easy to lose sight of our core business if we weren't managing it monthly on these metrics and staying focused on how we're performing. That's something. I'm really impressed with what you're doing there at Sunlight. It's an amazing, uh, amazing project. So what's next for Lawrence Skyver? You know, I, <laughs> I've never in my whole, you know, so we started with talking about my career path yeah. and I, I really never thought I would end up in an agency like Sunline. Uh, Sunline has um, uh, given me a passion for the environment, um, studying environmental science. I'd like to see myself at some point working in transit on the clean fuel side and on project deployment, helping agencies with how they can deploy. Um, I don't, I, you know, I can't imagine life not working at Sunline, actually. I, and I, I can't say that because I've been, my whole career has been about getting to this next step. And I'm finally at a place where I'm like, I, I've made it. You know, this is yeah. a place where I was supposed to end up at. That's and um, it's a great feeling. Yeah. It really is. And and I can tell your passion for what you're doing. And it's not just transit. It's all the things around transit that make transit so cool. So It really is. Yeah. And, and you know what? No matter what you're doing right now, 
yes, you have to focus on that passenger and you have to focus on your agency. And the part of the agency you work in right now is absolutely your number one business. But don't forget to feed your passion. Don't forget to carve out time to do other things related to what you do every day that bring you joy. I think sometimes we forget that. And you can absolutely find things in this business that you also work on that generate that passion for the other things you have to do. And um, I was taught that early on in my career, and it's actually made me way happier in this business. And um, it makes me feel good every day I walk into the office, which is sometimes hard, you know, depending on what's happening. But if you can find a way to feed the passion you have for the business, even if it's something different than your everyday discipline, you will stay joyful and you will stay connected and engaged in what you're doing. Well, Lawrence Skyver, thanks for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks to everybody listening. Very good. Thank you. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.